Welcome back to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. And today, our whole show is about learning, ways of thinking differently, approaches that might give you a leg up in whatever you're trying to get better at. And one of the topics that Americans seem to struggle most with is math. Every three years, a test called PISA, the Program for International Student Assessment, is given to high schoolers around the world. In 2018, our math scores placed us behind Canada, the Slovak Republic, Australia, and Hungary, though we just edged out Croatia and Belarus. For some parents in America, extracurricular math programs, if you can afford them, have become an essential way to succeed in math. One program run by the Russian School of Mathematics for students from kindergarten through high school now has over 50 branches throughout the U.S. and serves nearly 40,000 students. Innovation Hub's senior producer, Elizabeth Ross, visited a class at its headquarters in Newton, Massachusetts, to find out why Russian math is catching on. We first aired this report in January of 2019. It's early on a chilly Saturday morning at the Russian School of Mathematics in Newton. But 10-year-old Sebastian Sobe doesn't seem to mind. He's already deeply engrossed in three hours of advanced math. Measure three is 63. Today, Sebastian's sixth grade geometry class is exploring angles and parallel lines. His teacher, Miss Marina, is standing in front of the class at a large blackboard with chalk in hand. And as soon as she asks a question, Sebastian's hand shoots right up. Then what will be your transversal, Sebastian, here? So the transversal will be R in that case. And R is the transversal. There's no doubt that Sebastian, who's been coming here since kindergarten, enjoys numbers. I love math. It's probably my favorite subject in school. But it's the way that math is taught at the Russian School of Mathematics, or RSM for short, that appeals to Sebastian. Here, the teachers present challenging mathematical concepts at a young age and then return to these concepts again and again. And the teaching style is very direct, no fluff on it. And that's really what I like about RSM. When you say no fluff on it, what do you mean? Fluff is when you introduce outside topics that just make the problem harder to understand and it's not at all direct. Sebastian already has a pretty good idea about how he intends to use all this math without any fluff on it. When I grow up, I definitely want to be kind of an inventor but also an aeronautical engineer. And the math that I'm learning now has a lot to apply to aeronautics, especially in the geometry part of it and the algebra I would use to like calculate trajectories for like rockets or planes. So definitely a future in space. Yeah, I'm a Trekkie. <laughs> um, I've wanted to always be an astrophysicist for a really long time. 15-year-old Rhea Mishra is dreaming about space too. She's in 10th grade, and like Sebastian, she's been coming to RSM since kindergarten. I feel like the teachers really do make a point of making sure that you actually do understand what you're doing before you actually apply it, because otherwise you won't be able to apply it onto like a real-life situation if you don't know how it works or why it works. It's difficult to measure the impact of all this extra advanced math on students like Ria and Sebastian, but one thing is clear with the RSM students I meet. 
they're way ahead of their classmates in math at school. Ria's mother, whose name is Rinki Priyamfada, proudly tells me that her daughter took the math portion of the SATs back in seventh grade. She did very well, which was when we called like our relatives and all. They said, you can't let her take it now. You know, people really prepare for it and stuff. And she got a very high score. So we were kind of really surprised, you know. None of the students I speak with are worried about being ahead of their peers in math. Just take Rohan Prabhu. Like Ria, he's also in 10th grade. Here they teach the math a year in advance. So you go into your, your regular school class and you've already done it before. And so... In high school, I've been able to skip, like, multiple grades of math, so I'm in Calc 2 right now as a sophomore. Does it feel repetitive, though, or when you have already done the math? I mean, yeah, but you finish very fast, and it's, like, it's it's really just very easy to you. So we teach children to think. Olga Pristian is the principal of the Russian School of Mathematics in Newton, along with two other branches outside of Boston. She insists the school doesn't just pride itself on having students with good grades, but on helping students develop critical thinking. In the classrooms, our main question is why, not how, but why. What is the logic behind every concept? What is the logic behind every formula? And with those logic and reasoning skills, parents whose kids study Russian math are convinced their children will have the keys to solving many of life's problems. Okay, very good. Next one is 760 minus 40 divided by 9. I'm going to give you one second to solve it. For Innovation Hub, I'm Elizabeth Russ in Newton, Massachusetts. We'll talk in a few minutes about why the incredible popularity of after-school math programs, Russian math is just one of them, may pose some serious issues for teachers, for schools, and maybe even for students. But first, where did this approach, which has particularly taken hold in affluent suburbs over the past few years, where did it come from? Well, there are a few answers to that. One of them is simple. It came from a boy whose mother realized he couldn't add fractions, specifically fractions with two different denominators, like one-half plus one-third. And it wasn't the fact that he didn't understand that specific concept that was the reality check for her. It was that he couldn't figure out a way to try and figure it out. Masha Gershman knows this story because the boy who couldn't add fractions was her brother. And her mom, an engineer who had immigrated from the Soviet Union, was shocked by what she was seeing. Meaning that he couldn't dig into what he already knew to try and approach it or to try and derive it or to, you know, try and piece different things together to see how he might look at it. And more than that, the fact that it was hard and the fact that it was unknown made him just shut down, essentially close off. And so all of those different factors really encompassed the fact that math here is taught in a very, very different way, kind of philosophically and holistically. The experience ultimately led Gershman's mother, Anessa Rifkin, to found the Russian School of Mathematics, along with Irina Havinson. The school's early days were at the family's kitchen table, often supported by other immigrant families who were similarly disappointed by how math was taught in the U.S. 
And these were families who didn't just want their kids filling out worksheets. They wanted them to understand concepts like fractions. The real question is, okay, let's take a step back. What are fractions? What do they represent? How can we think about them in a different context? Forget about what the problem's asking you. What are they? Is it easier for you to think about it in terms of pizza or, you know, people at a party or different things? So it was very much, I don't know how to do this versus the approach that she was raised with, which is, what is this? Why? What are they asking us to do? How can I use what I already know, or how can I look at it from a different point of view to solve it? So that's one answer to the question of, where did the Russian school of mathematics come from? But here's another, broader answer. During the space race, essentially, the Soviet Union realized that they couldn't compete with the U.S. when it came to resources. But the one benefit of a totalitarian regime is that you can force all of your top academic minds into education. And that's really what they did. Hmm. Um, do you think the Russian approach is unique in the world? Because, you know, we, we started by talking about the PISA test, which is administered to dozens of countries, I think 70 plus countries. Um, a lot of the countries that do really well are countries like Japan does very well. Finland does very well. Singapore does very well. Is this a different approach, you think, than other countries are using? Or are they using this approach too? I would say yes and no, meaning that it is very much unique in the world. But if you look at a lot of old Chinese textbooks and Indian textbooks, and a lot of our parents actually tell us the same thing, you will see that they were actually either using textbooks from the Soviet Union or using something that was very heavily based off of that. So I think that it's permeated the world in a lot of different ways. Okay, so let's talk about um, specific ways that you think that Russian math is different from like what American kids are right now being taught in school. So like I said, so math in the U.S. has typically been taught as just kind of a collection of facts that are disjointed that kids have to memorize. Math in Russia and the Soviet Union, the meaning of math was completely different. So it was historically seen as a tool to develop the mind, a tool for mental empowerment. So we believe that kids are capable of abstract thinking very early. And what's more, with just like with languages or with instruments, it's actually better to start early because they're more flexible, they're kind of more adept at learning that type of thing, and you can build fluency. So we never memorize. Kids are asked to actually derive new concepts based on what they already know. And they actually see concepts in a variety of different contexts and situations, and that really enables them to problem solve, experiencing problems they've never seen before because they've seen these concepts in a variety of different ways and they can figure out kind of how to apply them. So the result, of course, is kids who understand math deeply, but more importantly, they actually start to think completely differently. Okay, so let's take yeah. an, uh, a problem or yeah. two and talk about how the Russian approach might be different from the approach that we might have all seen. In sure, sure. So let's take you know, the concept of addition, for okay. example. So in early elementary school, in kindergarten, first grade, you'll see something like one plus four equals what? And kids will be asked to solve that, right? And you'll see a lot of different examples or permutations of that. A kindergartner or first grader in our school might see something like a balance scale that's currently balanced. On one side, you have a one-pound weight and a teddy bear. And on the other side, you'll have a five-pound weight. And the teacher will start a conversation with them and will say, how much does a teddy bear weigh? So 
at a very high level, it's the same problem, right? One plus four equals five. Mm -hmm. But really what they're looking at is an equation. That's an equation, and that's essentially algebraic and abstract thinking where the kids have to reason why is the balance scale balanced? What does that mean about the teddy bear? And how do we get it to a point where it's balanced? So it's a very different approach to, to that specifically. Now, why is it better? I mean, I, I can see that 1 plus 4 equals 5 is, you know, on a piece of paper, 1 plus 4 equals what on a, in a regular class is one thing. And then, you know, a 1-pound weight uh, plus a teddy bear. And then on the other side, a 5-pound weight is basically the same problem. Why is one better than the other? You're lifting them to a completely different type of thinking. So one is arithmetic. One plus four equals what is arithmetic? It's very straightforward, right? They can count it on their fingers, essentially. The other one is a completely different higher order level of thinking. It's abstract thinking. They have to understand what the concept of a balanced scale is, what that implies about the teddy bear, and then essentially solve that problem in a completely different way. That's Masha Gershman, director of outreach at the Russian School of Mathematics, talking about a program that has exploded over the past few years with branches from California to Kentucky, Illinois to Maryland. The question, though, of how it and other programs like it are affecting American math education is a controversial one. John Starr studies how kids learn math, and he teaches teachers how to teach it at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. He says, if you're wondering why Americans don't do well on the PISA test, that international exam in which the U.S. struggles just to hit the middle of the pack, there's a lot of reasons that don't have much to do with our approach to math. We're a very diverse country. We don't honor teachers as much as many other countries do. We don't tend to send our kids to cram schools, which are popular in lots of places. But he thinks that the notion that math today is all about memorization, not high-level concepts, that's not quite right. Because in some of the high-performing countries, for example, in China, who, who do exceptionally well in these tests, they focus a lot on memorization. And so it's not as simple as that. Starr actually thinks when it comes to math, American schools are improving, which is worth taking note of. There have been incredible reforms over the past, let's say, 30 years in the way that we talk about math teaching, the, way, the curriculum that we produce about math teaching, the way we do teacher training. I think it's been an area of incredible growth. And we have a lot of ground left to cover, but I think we're really improving. And I think we know what we need to do. It's the question of actually doing it. And interestingly, I think this has mostly been realized in the elementary grades. That's where we have the most innovation and the most impact on teaching. And again, lots of room to grow still, but I think we're doing a lot better than we were before. Uh, less so in the high school area. That's a harder nut to crack to get high school teachers to change the way they teach. But yes. Does it surprise you that we've seen, it seems like, an upsurge in the last decade or so of parents putting their kids in sort of after school or weekend classes that focus on making them better at math? I haven't seen data that really shows us specifically there's been an upsurge, but I would agree with you that based on the people that I talk to, there's a lot of that going on, especially among the more wealthy parents in the suburban environments or the urban environments where parents have more disposable income, that is definitely becoming very popular. Um, but I think it's tricky to wonder, is that actually an upsurge? If you look back a generation ago, there were different after-school programs that, that hit the market. So Kumon, for example, was, and to some extent is, a huge after-school market for many parents. Um, it's not as hot or popular in some parts of the country, maybe as it was a generation ago. 
I guess a related point that I would make, though, is I think it's important that we start asking what are the reasons why parents are seeking out these extra help for their students, if that's what they're doing, extra help. There are some reasons that parents may be doing that that I think are understandable and legitimate and valid. And if that's what parents want to do and what their kids want to do, then wonderful. So, for example, parents may discover that their kids, very young kids, are passionate and interested and curious about math. And anything that parents can do to further that is wonderful. So these after-school programs that try to build on kids' curiosity, fantastic. The more, the better. Similarly, we know that a lot of kids, especially girls, begin to lose interest in math in the, around middle school, which is very troubling. And so if a child generally, but especially a young girl, is interested in math and a parent wants to maintain that interest, to continue that interest through middle school, those challenging years, wonderful. After-school programs can really serve that need. But I think what we're seeing in addition to that is some parents feeling like they need to send their child to enrichment after-school math to either keep up with everyone else at the school or in their neighborhood, or because there's this perception that that will improve your chances to do X, to get into this private school or to get into this university. And I'm not sure that's always the case, that getting that enrichment after-school class will serve that goal for parents. It's also the case that when these students, especially the older students, I see this in middle school and high school especially, when they go to the after-school program with the goal of getting ahead, they often do get ahead, but as a result, they're quite bored when they go to school. And so I talk to teachers a lot who are teaching classes where a significant number of students are taking after-school enrichment courses, and they've already seen what the teacher is covering that day or that week, and they're bored. Um, And if the parents are sending the students to the after-school programs to further their curiosity and their interest in math, only to go to school to be bored and lose interest in math, that seems counterproductive to me. And so I think that there's some nuanced decision-making that parents are making, need to be making when they think about sending their, their, their children to these programs. Is it really helpful for your child to get a year ahead in math? And why? John Starr is a professor at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. He studies how kids learn math. And by the way, he says he's felt pressure to put his own kids in after-school math programs. Mostly, his kids don't do those sorts of programs, but he's tried it. And when he did, he looked for something very specific. We wanted one that wasn't just covering the same curriculum that the public schools or the private schools cover. The goal was not just to give them a preview or an advanced exposure to the same topics. We wanted them to be doing a different kind of math. And so there are some programs where they expose elementary school students to some university math concepts, but at a very young age. And we found that to be very powerful and very interesting. And it sparked curiosity with this child of mine. And I actually really like that kind of program. On our website, we've got more coverage of how math education is changing in America. And many experts think we're in the midst of a seismic shift. That's at innovationhub.org. There you can also sign up for our weekly newsletter if you want a preview of what we're going to cover. And you can follow us on Twitter at iHubRadio. Thanks to the people who helped put together this show. Senior producer Elizabeth Ross, producer Mark Sollinger, associate producer Sarah Leeson, and engineer David Goodman. We also had production help from Eleanor Ho. From PRX and WGBH Radio, I'm Kara Miller, and this is Innovation Hub.